Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. And watch the other ones or listen on the podcast to the other ones so that you can get the whole picture. Because tonight we're just going to be talking about something that I've only started teaching in the last few years. Uh, I think it was probably three maybe years ago now that I really felt God kind of move upon me with this kind of uh, additional approach uh, to our giving. And I just think it's wonderful and I think it's something that has begun very much built into the culture of our church. And we see that routinely around here. And that's the idea of, of mercy giving, of being merciful with our money. Everybody say, merciful with our money. Now, I want to start tonight with a scripture that speaks to a much broader topic. It's about our whole self, which would include how we use our money. But it's not just about how we use our money. It's a broad thing. And it's in Mark 12, 28 through 31. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. How many are thankful that's clear? And thou shalt love the, the, the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So I want to look tonight at one way that we can love our neighbor. Now, the word neighbor that is used in this context, it means your fellow man, it means your fellow countryman, it means your fellow Christian, it can mean simply just a friend. So it's a very large, potentially large group of people. It's not neighbor in the context of the person that's just next to us. It's a very large group of people, and it's really we know that in any large group of people, there are going to be needs. Amen? How many would say there's probably some needs in this house tonight? Amen. Right. There's needs here. We understand that. And so he says, love thy neighbor. Or as he goes on, and we understand that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves or with the same care and concern that we would have for ourselves. Now, how many know that is a challenging thing? Because we like ourselves a lot. We really like ourselves. And he's saying, as much as you love yourself, you should love your neighbor. In the Old Testament, they had some remarkably interesting and I believe powerful ways to help those that were in need around them. And we find Leviticus 19. And oftentimes in, in your Bible, you may find this under the heading of love thy neighbor as yourself. In Leviticus 19, 9 through 10, it says, And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor 
and stranger. And then he says this statement, I am the Lord your God. Now, it's interesting to me that there are times in Scripture where the Lord will say something. A lot of times it's when he says something that may be somewhat challenging to their natural way of thinking. He'll say it, and then he'll end it with, by the way, I am the Lord your God. Just by the way, I want you to remember who it is that's telling you to do this. I am the Lord your God. So the command is clear to them. It was an act of mercy to the less fortunate. It was a a directive of God to be merciful to people in need. They were to plant a whole field, nurture the whole field, work the whole field, but when they harvested, they were supposed to leave the corners alone. Now you say, well, that's not fair. Well, you're going to have to take that up with him. He is the Lord our God. He says, yes, I want you to plant the whole field, till the whole field, get all the weeds and the rocks out of the whole field, work on the whole field, protect the whole field from scavengers and thieves or whatever. I want you to do all of that, but when you harvest it, don't harvest the whole field. Leave the corners for those that are in need. And so they harvested the rest of it, and when they would harvest the rest of it, occasionally some of it would fall to the ground. And the gleaning process required that they not go back and pick up what they missed. He's telling them, I know that in your version of harvesting that you're going to have some of it that gets missed. It's going to fall. And I'm telling you, as the Lord your God, don't go back and pick up what falls to the field. Now, I want to point out that this was considered an Israelite law. This was one of the ways that they were instructed to honor God, to love God, also meant to love their neighbor. And so they wouldn't go back and pick it up. They would leave it there. Now we see it again a few chapters later in Leviticus, Leviticus 23, 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest, neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And again, in Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 21, when thou cuttest down thine harvest in thy field, thou and hast forgot a sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. Wait a minute now. Did everybody see that? So yes, it's a command of God. And yes, it's, it requires you leave some stuff behind. But what does it also do? It also opens up a door for God to bless you. Everybody see it? That the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. When thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the bough again. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. When thou gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. So when they cut down the grain and they would gather it together in sheaves, so they would stand it up 
and they would gather together in great bundles and they would tie those sheaves together. And then they would take their, their beast of burden, whatever it was, and they would tie two, three, whatever sheaves onto the back and they would carry those sheaves to the barn, to the, to, to the gathering place. So here we see that the work of harvesting has been done and the sheaving has been done. They've, they've harvested it, they've collected it together, they've tied the rope around it, and now they've got, they went and picked up all of those sheaves and they're carrying them all off the field. This is the, this is the illustration the Lord is giving us. So that's been done. But then he says, but someone forgot a sheaf in the field. So you're on your way out of the field and someone says, oh, there's one more, one more sheaf over there. We've harvested it. We've gathered it together. We've tied it together. And the Bible says, do not go and fetch it. Leave it. Leave it for the fatherless, the stranger. And you say, well, I mean, that's one thing about leaving the corners, but I've already put all the work into this. I mean, now you're saying I have to get the field, till the field, plant the field, water the field, help the field, protect the field, and even harvest some of it, tie it together, and just if I happen to forget one of them, don't go back and get it. Because it's for the followers, the widow, and the stranger. And why? God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. You say, well, that was work of my hands. Why can't I just be blessed with that work? Now, this is, keep in mind now, you can, you can be blessed with your hands work. You can go back there and pick that sheaf up, but you negate God's blessing for your work. Now, anybody who's ever been blessed by God, this is not a tough decision. Would you rather have your blessing or God's blessing. That's not very hard. I'll take his blessing every time. Amen. So it's interesting that this illustration is that they forgot. They forgot a sheaf in a field. Now, let's just play off of this a little bit. If they only had a really small field and they only had enough grain, en enough money to get enough seed, to get enough grain, so that when they harvested it, there was just a couple sheaves. Do you think they're gonna forget one? No. Is it more logical that someone who has a large field, who has many sheaves that have been bundled over a long period of time, is it more logical that they might forget a sheaf in a field? It is, right? And it's so he's using this idea of forgot. And this is, you, you, the reason I'm making this point is because America is one of the few places in the world where I think this really applies today. And you say, well, how is that possible? How is this Old Testament principle? Because we can forget about more money than some people make an entire week in other parts of the world. 
And if you don't believe me, just try to track all of your expenses in the last month by memory. Now, I, if, you're, if you're a budget person, bless God, you're, that's wise. But just by memory, just sitting here right now, try to remember every dollar you spent in the last month. That's hard to do, isn't it? You say, well, you're saying we're wealthy. I'm not saying that you're wealthy compared to American standards. I'm saying we're all wealthy compared to the world standards. Now, we, are, we have so much money that we can forget about that there is now an app called a subscription management app. And if you read uh, Forbes magazine, there was an article just last year about all of these new subscription management apps. And what it means, and this, let me just read the beginning of this article. This is how it starts. You might be spending a lot more on subscriptions than you think. From Amazon Prime to Spotify and countless other services, the average consumer now juggles five retail subscriptions and ne nearly five paid streaming subscriptions. And when asked how much money they were paying for these subscriptions, consumers underestimated their subscription cost by an average of $133 a month. Now, I want to make sure you heard that line correctly. They didn't say, I'm paying $133 a month. When they were asked how much they think they're paying, they underestimated it by $133 a month or $1,596 a year. Even worse, the same poll found that 42% of people have stopped using a subscription but forgot they were still paying for it. So there are subscription management apps that you can get on your devices. One of them is called True Bill, and True Bill will go through all of your uh, financial outgoing, and it will locate all of your subscriptions for you, and it will manage your subscriptions so that you don't forget that you're paying for something that you don't remember you're paying for. And so if you need that, you can get Truebill. Now it does have a free version, but Truebill also has a premium version that's gonna cost you three to $12 a month. So you can have another subscription to manage all your subscriptions. As funny as that is, this, this part of our world has exploded in our lives in the last five years. People are doing their, things like audible.com, people who like to read books, listen to books. There are, there are subscriptions to just, you name it, you can subscribe to it. 
And the reason why this is even necessary is because this is another area of our society that has figured out if you just charge people a little bit of money, they'll just do it. They'll put it on a credit card and it'll just repeatedly go and they'll forget they even have it. And that is possible and it's happening all the time and it may even be happening to some of us. So we can forget. We have money that we forget about. And I know I can, I can almost kind of feel it in the room. It's like, well, you're acting like we're just so rich. I'm, I'm barely making, I get it. But you're, you're talking about our American standard. You're talking about our lives. And we need to make, we need to be aware of the fact that what is living paycheck to paycheck. Have you ever realized how uh, people can use the term I'm living paycheck to paycheck and they can, they can get 10 raises and still say I'm living paycheck to paycheck? They can make $10,000 more this year than they made last year and still say, man, I just barely have enough to get by. Well, how is that possible? Something obviously changed. What changes is our standard of living. We, we, we raise our standard of living. Now, I'm not altogether against that because we're talking about a God that says, I will bless you. So I'm not, all, I'm not saying that, that if, if, you're, if you're living at a just barely scraping by level, that you know, and you're, it's mac and cheese every night for you, unless you just really like mac and cheese. But if it's mac and cheese every night for you, and you get a little bit more money that you can you know, move up to cut up hot dogs in the mac and cheese, Come on, you know what it's like, cutting up hot dogs. It takes it to a whole nother level. We're eating a high on the hog. I'm not saying that you can't, you can't move up. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we just need to have a right understanding that we have an ability, that there's money that even sometimes that we don't even, we spend it in so many different ways. And all of them are not out of necessity. Right? I mean, I don't know how many coffee places we have in town now, but folks, they keep building them. They keep building them. And I, you know, every once in a while, I'll get a chai tea myself, but I'm just saying, the world is changing. We see it again a few chapters later. Uh, he gives us a perspective, I'm saying. Let's look at that instead. Look, he says... When thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the boughs again. So they would, they would lay a cloth underneath the tree. This is how they, they got the, the olives. This is how they did it. They would lay a cloth under the tree, and then they would shake the tree and the, and the branches that they could reach. They would shake them. And then they would use a pole to reach the higher branches, and they would shake those branches and part of the, the process of them being ready to harvest was they would fall off when you shook the tree. 
That was part of them, know, you knowing that they were ready. So, but he tells them here now, once you do that, do not go back and do it a second time. So you're, you're, you're shaking the olive tree for the first time and all the olives fall that are ready to be harvested, but they don't all fall. There's many that are left on the tree. And God says, you're done with that tree. Move on to the next tree. And don't go back to that tree again. Well, you say, well, they're going to be ready. Two more days, they'll be ready. God says, I don't care. That you, you shook it once, and those that are left are going to be left for people that are in need. The grapes were clipped off, but the vine once picked was also to be left. So they would walk down the vine, and they would, they would pick off the grapes that were ready to be harvested. But there would be grapes that were not ready to be harvested, right? And he says, you can't go back and get them. You've already gone over it once. I've given you enough for you the first time. Now leave some for those that are in need. Notice now what their perspective should be. He says in Deuteronomy 24, 22, and thou shalt remember that you were a bondman in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command thee to do this thing. God says, you know, I, you can just kind of hear yourself, right? You're saying, God, I, don't, I, just went, I, I just shook it once. There's more to get. Lord, I just picked grapes once. There's going to be more to get. And God says, to, to your questioning about that, he says, you were once a slave in Egypt. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You need to remember where you came from. You remember what I've done for you. There was a time in their history where they were the have-nots. They were in bondage. They could do little about their situation. They lived in a land that didn't see them as anything more than a workforce. That was a part of their history. So as God blesses us in our lives, as we see our obedience to things like tithing and offerings turn into blessings, which we talked about the first two weeks, as we see our money grow through sacrificial giving, which we talked about last week, we should never forget the needs of those around us. We should consider what we can do to show merciful love to our neighbor. Now, in Matthew 5 through 7, we have the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a long message delivered by Jesus. It's heard by many, but it's really focused at his disciples. And in the middle of this message, right before we get to the Lord's Prayer and Fasting, we find this little title heading that says, Giving to the Needy. Right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus talks about how they go about their righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. Jesus says, this is how you go about your righteousness or your righteous acts. Matthew 6, 1 through 2. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee. <laughs> as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. 
Now, I didn't, I've never really studied that out before. I don't know if he's being <laughs> sarcastic or if they actually did that. But that would be funny if they actually did that. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So, now, all righteous acts, outside of giving, all righteous acts are to be done in this same spirit. And you find this principle out throughout the Bible. If we do it for man's attention, then that is the only reward that we get. There's no reward from heaven. Right? You've heard me say this before. Everybody say it with me. Motivations matter. I say it again. Motivations matter. Jesus then speaks even more clearly about alms specifically. And he says, Matthew 6, 3-4, But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee. Oh, here we go again. God's saying, I want to reward you. I want to bless you, shall reward you openly. So what this scripture is meaning is that our righteous acts should be second nature to us, as if you do it without even thinking about it. You definitely do it without dwelling on it. It's not a conversation. You're not gonna do a righteous act and then have a conversation later with people around the water cooler at work about your righteous act. It, it, it's not a worry that you're going to carry with you all day that, well, should I have done that righteous act? Should I not have done that righteous act? It's not a great debate about what, what they're going to do with the righteous act. And let's say it is about money. Let's say you do. You do help someone out. You do give someone money. He's saying, I want it to be second nature. I don't want you to dwell on it. I don't want it to be something that you analyze from every angle. And I don't want you to worry about all day about whether they're going to use it correctly or not. I just want you to do it because you love your neighbor. Now, I, want you, I just want to point out here that through the scriptures that we've used so far, we've both talked about food and money. We talked about the food of their harvest. Now we're talking about their actual almsgiving, which is actual money that they used. The point that I'm making is there are many ways to help people besides giving them money. Giving people money is not the only way to help people, but as we see in scripture, there are times when money is what's needed and what is necessary for us to give. Once again, like every type of giving we have discussed in this series so far, uh, we read, thy father would see it in secret himself shall reward thee openly, or there's a blessing attached. I am the Lord your God. I want to bless you. I want to reward you. God has absolutely no problem attaching heavenly rewards to righteous activity. So there's this idea that we've kind of come up with and anti-Christian people and even some, some you know, more Christian than you type people 
that, you know, that, you know, this idea that there should be no reward at all for righteous activity. Well, God here in Scripture is saying, I don't have any problem connecting heavenly reward to righteous activity. And we don't have any problem with this as the process because it's to what God has established. I'm not teaching you that you need to help people out of need because, because God will bless you and you're going to be a millionaire and all that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying God said, I will bless you for the work of your hand. God said, I will reward you openly for what you do in secret. God said that. And since God said it, I'm fine believing it. Right? Deuteronomy 15, 7-8. If there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within any of thy gates in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. Now this word here is used in the, the widest sense of the word, brother. It's, it's the broadest sense. But thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. Now, let's, let's get some clarity to what the scripture is saying here. The word lend doesn't mean lend on security. It doesn't mean I'm going to lend this to you, but you're going to have to, you're going to, have to pay me back with interest. And the interest is going to be more than what I paid you in the first place. And if you don't do it, I'm going to sue you. But look at what he says next, verses 9 through 11. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and, and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him not. And he cry unto the Lord against thee, and it be a sin unto thee. Thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him, because that for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works, and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. I'm telling you, I want that. I want that blessing. I want that scriptural blessing that God's going to bless all the things I put my hand to and all the work that I do. I want that blessing. For the poor, look what he says here shall never cease out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor and to thy needy in thy land. Now, we should not be surprised by our involvement in this. Remember Luke 6, 35-36, But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. So he equates us being merciful like him, and one of the ways that he equates that is that he says that you're gonna give. That you're gonna give lending, hoping for nothing again. And what key verse? What key verse comes right after he says that? Right after he says that, we read Luke 6, 38. Give, 
and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. The same scripture we've used as a principle in every night so far in this series comes right after he's talking about how to be merciful and including how to be merciful with our money. Notice he says, shall men give? Now, we illustrated this last week with the coat. Remember, I talked about how fat I was. Everybody remember that? Yeah, all right. I, I knew some of you would remember that. And we talked about the bosom and what that meant, the little pocket in their garment and the giving to it and how God says, give and it shall be given unto you. That means that if we give, God can put it right back in our pocket. Right? Can, so so we, we, we understand the receiving side. The receiving side, God's going to receive it. But he says, shall men give unto you? So blessings come from God, but he uses us to give them. Amen? Amen. And I'm not always the recipient. Sometimes it comes out of my pocket, and I put it in someone else's pocket. We can't believe in scriptures when it comes to this stuff only to the degree that we're going to be the recipients of it. Because that's not how the process works. It's give and it shall be given. So if we're just sitting around saying, well, all right, he's talking about giving to people in need and I have a lot of needs and all these people are nodding and saying amen to this, so... I should be getting some money before the night's over. <laughs> Maybe I just need to let my needs be known, you know, and, and see how much money I can get from these people. We're missing the point. I remember years ago, um, back in the day, we used to get a lot more phone calls to the church where people, you know, we need this, we need that, we need that. And it was always a challenge to kind of navigate because you don't have to pastor for very long before you realize that there are literally people who will just go into a town, find every number for every church in town, they'll call every number asking for money, and then they'll just go pick up the money and go to the next town. That's not an anomaly. That happens on a regular basis. And so you have to navigate that. You have to try to figure out, you know, what is this? What's, what's happening here? But I remember, I remember this because it, it's always just stuck out at me. I remember I got a call uh, from a lady one night. I was sitting at home, and uh, I'm not even sure how she got my cell phone number, but uh, it's my cell phone rings. I answer it, and it's a lady having some, you know, I, I need some money. And so I'm talking with her, trying to just, you know, what's your name? You know, what's the situation? How can we help you? And she was getting frustrated with me. And I was like, I, 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 I want to help you, but, I, you know, we only have, you know, so much money that our church can give away for the helping of people's needs. And we do. We, we try to keep so that the church can help people. But, I mean, we, I have to know, you know, there's a lot of people. I get a lot of calls. 
And then she started proceeding to tell me what she needed the money for, which I'm not going to go into, but let's say it wouldn't qualify under the heading of need. Okay? <laughs> not even close. And so then I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, we have people that have, like, real stuff. We, people's powers getting shut off. We got people that need food. We got, you know, whatever. I can't pay your cable bill. You know, that's not how this works. <laughs> to which she decided to just go off on me. I mean, the type of phone call I would usually hang up on, but it was somewhat comical to me that this lady's cussing me out and yelling at me because, in her words, my only reason for existence was to help her, and that's what the Bible says. <laughs> so if you're not careful, you can fall into a false understanding of what the Bible is talking about. When it talks about helping people and meeting needs and being merciful with your money and what we, our expectations should be of all of these things. I'll finish with this. I know it's been a few years now I've taught this, but I'm just going to keep teaching it because I, I think we need to grasp this. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Let's look at it together. Look at Luke 10. Luke 10, and we'll, we'll start with 27, we'll go through 37. And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my, so who, who, is, who am I supposed to be helping? Who is this person? And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, which stripped him of the, uh, his raiment and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had, everybody say compassion. compassion. He had compassion on him. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Then Jesus says, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. Go and show mercy. 
So to the question of who is my neighbor, Jesus gives this parable of this man who fell among thieves. Now I want, I want us to understand the illustration. When Jesus speaks, you have to really make sure you're fully grasping what he's saying. He's saying the man fell among thieves. He was not intending to be in this situation. He did not ask for this. He did not want this for his life. But now here he is, broke, wounded, and barely hanging on, right? Now I want you to understand that most of the people that we can help by being merciful with our money, most of the people we can help are like this. Life did it to them. Life happened. Others who could have helped them and should have helped them did not help them and just passed them by. Some passing by on the other side of the street so that they didn't even have to be close to them. Some looking at the need but doing nothing about it. But the Samaritan had something that they did not have. Compassion. Compassion. The Samaritan was moved with compassion. And if that phrase sounds familiar, it's because you read that same phrase multiple times with Jesus, who was moved by compassion. When he sees the widow woman, they're carrying the casket of her last son, and she's going to be all alone. He's moved by compassion. When he sees the hungry that have no place to get food as he's teaching them, he's moved with compassion. And here we have a good Samaritan who's moved with compassion. Listen, we will never be merciful with our money if we don't have compassion. If our compassion is always somehow thwarted by our ability to justify how we don't need to help because they're probably just going to fill in the blank with whatever money we give them, we don't have compassion. If every time we have an opportunity to be merciful with our money, we talk ourselves out of it, then compassion is not winning the day. Right? And I want to, I, I, I just, I feel the need to drive home this point that he, he did not wake up one day and say, I want to be broken and beaten and half dead. That's what life did to him. And we can look at a lot of circumstances where people are broken and, and, and mind and body broke. They got no money. They're barely hanging on. And we can say, yeah, well, they do this and they did that and they did this and they did that. But you just keep following that trail back 
and you're going to find some stuff that happened to them. You might be able to find a, a year or two or five of, of mistakes that they made and bad decisions that they made and things that really hurt them, but you just keep finding that back and you'll find some reasons why they did some of those things, that they made some of those mistakes. And so life happened. And if you've never been in that position, and if you've never had to deal with some of that stuff, and if you lived in a relatively uh, uh, secure home environment where people took care of you, and you were protected, and your mind was able to develop, and your relationships were able to be healthy, and you had the things of necessity, you ought to thank God for it every single day of your life. And you definitely should not be someone who lacks compassion for people that didn't have any of that. Now, he had compassion, but that's not all that he had. And this is the point I'm making here at the end. He took care of his immediate need, which was his wounds. He gave up his own horse and he chose to walk. He took him to a place where he could get rest and where he could heal. Folks, there's a lot of lessons in this story. He left two pence for the purpose of take care of him. And he adds, whatever more it costs, when I come back, I will repay. What his point is, here's money, I hope that's enough to help him, but don't stop helping him if my money runs out because I'll come back and I'll make up the difference. Because I don't want to get him halfway better. I don't want to just get him halfway there. I want to help. Two pence, if I say two pence. Two pence is what it's talking about here. And it's two days wages for a laborer and it would have been enough for several days of support. And at that time with their money, that was two days wages. All of the money that man, the Good Samaritan, would have made in two days of work. He gave so that this man could get help. To accomplish what this man did that Jesus called being merciful to a neighbor. Being merciful with your money to your neighbor. To accomplish that, we must be willing to do some things. What do we have to be willing to do? One, we have to be willing to sacrifice our agenda for that part of our day. We must have to be willing to sacrifice our plans for that moment. Because the good Samaritan could have been moved by compassion and been like, man, I really want to help, but, you know, I got to go to Walmart, then I got to run by the bank, and then I got to go get the dry cleaning, and then I got to go get the kids to school, and then I got to go make dinner, and then I got to... And our, our self do our self-agenda for the day overrides our compassion. Now, I understand 
I understand that it's not like the perfect little picture. You're on your way to work. You gotta get to work. But how, how easy do we let ourselves off the hook? That's what we have to navigate here. Do we even think about calling our boss and saying, man, I just, I just got, I just, I'm at the gas station getting gas. I just ran into this situation. This person needs help. Can I, can I come in 30 minutes late if I can help? Do we even think about having that conversation? Or do we just say, ah, I wish I could help? So he had to be able to sacrifice his agenda for that day. Second thing he had to be willing to do was connect himself to someone who was going to get on him. This man is beaten and bloodied on the road. And he's going to have to put his hands on him and pick him up and clean him off and wrap up his wounds. And I don't know if he had his doctor gloves and his surgical mask on him. And I don't know if he could ask the man, do you have COVID? Because if you do, <laughs> sorry. I don't, he, this man was going to get on him. You ever tried to pick up somebody who couldn't help themselves? Think about when you were picking up your kids when they were little. You know, when they're dead out, just out, laying on the floor like this. <laughs> and you go to pick them up, and you're like, how is this so hard? They're so little. Imagine having to do that with a full-size human being that cannot help themselves, and you gotta get them on your donkey. Do you think that's gonna be some work? Do you think you might get dirty? Is it possible that the priest said, but I got my priestly garb on. I can't, I don't wanna get this all. I get all dirty. What if I get blood on it? Blood doesn't come out. Everybody with me? So he had to sacrifice his agenda for the day. He had to connect himself to someone who was going to get on him. And, merciful with our money, he had to give the money necessary to make a difference in the man's need to make a difference in the need. So, we can walk by a situation and just throw some money at it and then just move on and think, I was merciful with my money. But did it really do anything to make any difference at all? Now, this story, for years, has screamed at me a giving principle that I think sometimes goes unnoticed. This man 
had to have the money in order to give the money. Now you say, well, that's not real revelatory there, Pastor. How many times have we thought, man, I would love to help them. I just, I don't have the money. I don't have any money. How many times have you been moved with compassion but couldn't do anything about it? You saw a need that required financial help and you couldn't do anything about it because you didn't have any extra money in your life to give. And so we hand out a dollar or five dollars and we walk away feeling guilty, thinking, I wish I could have done more. Have you ever been in line at the supermarket? Have you ever been in line and the person in front of you was clearly someone who had needs and was clearly trying to cover a necessity item with pennies that they're scraping out of the bottom of their purse and they don't have enough money and you're, you're moved with compassion? But if you're broke and you haven't planned on helping anybody and you haven't thought about it in advance, all you can do is be sad. What would we think of the story when Jesus feeds the 5,000 if he would have said, I'm moved with compassion by these people because they're so hungry. It's a bummer we can't do anything about it. And that was the end of the story. That wouldn't, right? That wouldn't do much for us, would it? No. See, I believe that Jesus is teaching us that we should be prepared for these moments in life in advance. And that's not some outlandish idea because that's how all of the things that he teaches us about money are. He specifically teaches us about tithing and he tells us 10% so that you know exactly what to plan for when it comes to tithing. You actually have to figure that out. Math is involved. And you can't tell me you never thought, man, I'm glad he didn't do like 7.8%. He was thinking of us, people like me specifically with the 10. He's like, I can't. If I make it too complicated, they're never going to do it. <laughs> but then offerings, he even said, we talked about it two weeks ago with offerings. They need to be considered. That they need to be proportionate to what God has done for you. You have to think about offerings. And we talked about it last week with sacrificial giving. How in the world am I ever going to give to missions? How am I going to give to a, a, a missionary program or an expansion of the church? Or how am I going to show up to basket auction Sunday and participate if I haven't planned on participating? And I don't have any money left. And so it's not out of the just crazy thinking to think that God, when he's talking about mercy giving, would say, how about you think about this in advance? 
before you run into this situation, before you find the man on the road half dead, before you're standing in the supermarket line, before you realize that someone in the church tires are bald and you wish you could do something, before. Why don't you think about this in advance? In fact, can I be so crazy as to suggest that maybe it becomes a part of your budget? Or if you don't want to do it in the budget, maybe a mercy jar in your house that you can stick money into every week might be a good idea so that when the time comes and you're moved with compassion, you can do something about it. Doesn't that seem like that just makes sense? Doesn't it seem like a God that would tell Israel, I have a plan for how you're going to help the needy. I want you to know in advance. Don't harvest the corners of your field. Don't go over the olive tree twice. Don't go over the vines twice. Don't go back and pick up the sheaf. I have a plan. We're going to think about this in advance. You're going to do it this way because there is always, as he said, there will always be people in need. Folks, the question has never been, will, will there be needs? The question has always been, will there be anybody to meet the needs? And I don't want to just feel compassion for something I can't do anything about. And I don't think God wants that for us either. And so he's, he's teaching us a principle to consider in advance, to be prepared, to plan on being merciful. And the principle, yes, goes way beyond money. Sure it does. Yes, you can be merciful to people in a lot of ways. But every once in a while, it's going to require money. And we need to be considered, and we need to think that through. Let's stand together. I'm trying to think of, there's, I have so many, I have so many personal illustrations of times where I had needs and people helped me. No, I, I've never been half dead on the side of the road. Thank God. Thank God. I remember as a kid one time, my dad actually came upon an accident on the side of the road. No one else was around. A guy had driven off the road, went through a fence, was laying outside of his car covered in blood. And my dad helped him. And when the, the police and stuff got there, they actually made my dad, they told him, you have to go to the hospital and you have to get checked out to make sure that you didn't get any communicable disease. And I remember my dad and mom having a conversation. I remember the conversation about 
you know, the fact that he might get a call from the hospital and say, well, that man that you worked with earlier today, he had such and such. And now you need to, you need to come in. You need to get. But I don't, I don't, I don't ever want to be a person who can just somehow justify driving by. I don't want to be a person that can just put myself first so much that a person that's in real need. And that's, that's a drastic situation. I know that's a life and death situation. But, and I've never been personally in that situation where somebody had to do something that drastic for me. But I've been in a lot of other situations where people blessed me. And they either knew I had the need or just assumed. <laughs> they just assumed. You know, young couple with kids, they probably need something. <laughs> That's not a hard assumption to make, right? You find out somebody in the church has had multiple doctor visits, their families had to go to the ER a couple times, they probably have a need. You hear that the car broke down and then the other car broke down and then the neighbors that loaned them car broke down. They probably have a need. And so sometimes we can just bless people because we know that they have a need. And I don't even really know what it is, but I'm just gonna write a nice card and I'm gonna just tell them I love them and I'm here for them and I'm gonna put a check in there and I'm gonna help them. And you say, well, all I have, I can't, I, I mean, what's the difference if I can't buy them a new car? You know what I found the difference is? Is expressed compassion is extremely meaningful. Now, they know you can't change their whole world. They know you can't just buy them a car. And if you can buy them a car and it's not going to do much to your account, then by all means, buy them a car. I mean, if you got that much blessing in your life, then you ought to be blessing others in some sort of proportion to what God is blessing you. But I know this from every other principle of giving. You'll never get to that place if you won't bless with the two pence. You won't ever get to that place if you won't just help a little because a little is all you can do. Right? So you can think of ways tonight that you've been blessed. You can think of ways that God has blessed you. Can someone else think of a way that you were used to bless them? Can someone else think of that? And if they can, good on you. But how long has it been? How long has it been? Amen? Lord, we love you so much. And we are a tremendously blessed people. And we thank you for that.
Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week. Thank you.